We are his portion and he is our prize. Drawn to redemption by the grace in his eyes. If grace hills and ocean, we're all sinking. So heaven meets earth like an unforeseen kiss. And my heart turns violently inside of my chest. I don't have time to maintain these regrets when I think about the way he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. my chest I don't have time to maintain these regrets when I think about the way he loves us oh how he loves us oh how he loves us oh how he Matthew chapter 17. We've been um, talking about in the past uh, month or so, we've been talking about Elisha and, uh, and some of the cool miracles that we see in the Old Testament. Um, and today I want to look at Verse, or start with verse 14 of uh, chapter 17. 
I'm going to go into um, the verses before that sometime down the road real soon about the transfiguration when Jesus was transfigured. You remember what happened with that? He and, and a couple of his disciples went up on a, on a hill or a mountaintop, and, and um, all of a sudden he was transformed, and he was carrying the glory that he has as God Almighty. And, um, and Peter saw him in his glory. And as, he, as Jesus was transfigured and he was standing there in all his glory, Moses and Elisha, Elijah appeared with him and was talking with him. Why do you think that is? Top question. Why would Jesus all of a sudden be shining? This is right after he predicts his own death. Why do you think he would all of a sudden he would go up on his mountaintop and also be transformed into his glory? There's a lot of theories out there with that. There's a lot of a lot of biblical scholars have theories on that, and um, and one of the uh, one of the uh, thoughts that is out there, and I totally disagree with, is that um, he was getting ready to face his death, and so God the Father showed him, "This is who you are," and He sent Elijah and Moses to encourage Jesus. From my perspective, that is not true. And the reason being is because Jesus knew full well who he was. He knew full well who he was since he was a little boy. And you have the example of him, you know, when he ran off from his uh, mother and stepfather. He ran off and he was teaching in the temple for three days and they couldn't find him and they were terrified. And when they found him and they saw him teaching in the temple... He, and he said to them, don't you know I've got to be about my father's business? That was when he was a little boy. And so since he was a little boy, he knew full well that he was God in the flesh. He knew full well of who his identity is. We're going to talk about that in a few weeks, but not today, okay? So I want you guys to think about that. Why would God send Elijah and Moses to see Jesus on the mountaintop, or to see Jesus in his glory, just like Peter was seeing him in his glory. I want you guys to think about that, okay? Can you do that? Because I'm going to give you um, my theory based on other scriptures, okay? And, um, and we're going to look at that from a whole different perspective because I can tell you this I don't believe Jesus needed encouragement from Elijah and Moses to be able to do what he was called to do which was die on the cross for our sins and rise again on the third day there's something more um, interesting and profound taking place on that mountaintop than that okay cool all right and when I present that I want you guys to know just like everybody else presents their ideas in their theory, I'm actually going to, and I, and, I, and I state this up front, I'm going to give you a theory based on other scripture, okay? So, I just want you guys to know that. Cool? Up front? All right, fast forward to verse 14. It says, when they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Verse 15, Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. Verse 17, Jesus replies, O unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of the boy, and he was healed from that moment. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, Why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, Because you have so little faith. I tell you the truth. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. 
going to stop there. Have you guys ever wondered what's up with demon possession? Y'all look a little uncomfortable. I'm not talking about tithing this morning. We're talking about demon. We're, relax. Put your, put your wallets away. You're, you're going to be all right. Don't get all nervous on me here. Have you ever wondered what's up with demon possession? Do you believe that it takes place today? Have you seen it? Most of you have seen it. Where? You saw it in the church? What about the rest of you? Something that Jesus dealt with on a regular basis. We don't talk about it much in the church. All right, let's rephrase that. We don't talk about it much in the American church. Why is that? It makes us uncomfortable. Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> yeah. Disclaimer, you got to be careful not to look for a demon under every bush either, though. You understand what I mean? Because sometimes people just have a spirit of stupid. You know what I mean? You understand what I mean, Sharon? Yeah, sometimes it's not a demon. So you, so I can tell you this. I don't need a demon. I make my own messes really, really good. You know what I mean? And... um but the thing is, is um, we forget in the American church that there is a supernatural battle going on all around us. We got the angels of God, and we got demonic spirits. Okay, demonic spirits are not the falling angels that we hear about in the Bible. Do you guys know that? The fallen angels are bound till the day of judgment according to the Bible, and I believe that's in Peter. So whom are the demons? Hmm? Larry knows who they are. Hmm. Bible history, where would the demons come from? Genesis. Yep. Huh? From the great flood. What were the angels doing, the fallen angels doing that got them bound until the day of judgment? Do you guys know? All right, you guys want a history lesson? All right, here we go. History lesson. Why do you think the Great Flood happened? Was it because the world just got so evil, man became so sinful that God was going to wipe him out? That's what's taught in the children's churches and in the little storybook, you know. It shows men just being, it, sh it shows crowds of people when they draw the yard out and everything, and then it's just like, God's going to send rain, wipe everybody out. But he's going to save, he's going to save Noah. Because Noah was a righteous man. What did Noah do right after he got off the ark? You guys remember? Huh? He tied one on. He made some liquor, got drunk, and that totally got wasted. So there was sin on the earth before the flood, and there was sin on the earth after the flood. 
Mankind hasn't changed one bit over the generations. Mankind is sinful at their heart. Okay? So what was the, what was the purpose of the flood? Anybody got any ideas? Mm-hmm. To get rid of the Nephilim. Who were the Nephilim? Yeah, the offspring of fallen angels. Satan's fallen angels mated with the daughters of men. And they produced a, um, what was basically half human, half angel. And they were called the Nephilim. Now it talks about in Genesis that the Nephilim were on the earth in the days of Noah and then afterward also. Do you guys hear that? Our, our sectional presbyter, Brad Riley, um, him and I talked about this years ago. I, I've been talking about the Nephilim for years and years and years, but I never really teach it publicly because it's a very complicated thing. But he put together, um, I think it was a 12 or 14-week sermon series on this subject, our, our sectional presbyter for the Assemblies of God. And, um, and it was fantastic. Um, He's a whole lot better scholar than I am. But long before that, you know, him and I were the only ones I know in our district that know about the Nephilim. And um, the Nephilim were the offspring of the fallen angels mating with human women. And that is what got the fallen angels banned and bound till judgment. So the Nephilim, they were running all over the place. What was their purpose? Why would Satan have his angels mate with the daughters of men? And we started in, we started with Jesus driving out this demonic spirit. Why would angels want to mate with the daughters of men? Is it because it's fun and why not? No. Do you guys want to go back for a minute to Genesis when, um, when God told Adam and Eve after they had sinned, he told them what was going to take place for them, not only them, but, but their future offspring. They were going to be driven from the garden. They were going to have to deal with death. They were going to have to deal with all these things that sin brought into their life. But then not only that, God gave them a promise. He gave them a prophetic promise that there will be one of your descendants that will be born through your line, through the line of Adam and Eve, that will come and He will restore what was lost. It was a prophetic promise of the Messiah. And then he, also pro, then he also pronounced a curse on Satan. And he said, you will strike his heel, talking about the Messiah. But he said, he will crush your head. Meaning you will be taken out by the Messiah. That was, a prob, pro, that was a prophecy that was given and spoken in front of Adam and Eve that one of their offspring would crush Satan and crush him for good. And that was the, pro, the prophetic, first prophetic promise talking about the fourth coming of Jesus, who would be the Messiah that would, that would um, he would basically crush Satan. He would destroy the works of the devil. So when you are in Satan's position and you get told that the offspring of these two people are going to, um, is going to crush you and is going to wipe out your kingdom, what are you going to do? You're going to go to war. And you're going to go to war immediately. 
And what Satan did was he went to war against mankind. And the way he did it was through infiltration. Because at this point, mankind is already sinful because they have fallen. But he did it through infiltration. And he sent his angels to start mating with the daughters of men to mess up the bloodline to try to prevent the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ, from being able to be born. That is why you have the great flood. When it talks about Noah being righteous or blameless, one of the other translations says he was pure in his generations. It didn't mean Noah was a saint. It meant that he was pure in his bloodline, and his family bloodline was pure. And that was a start where God could repopulate mankind and continue to fulfill the promise spoken in the Garden of Eden when he promised Satan that his head was going to be crushed. And so Satan sent his angels to mate with the daughter of men, and it, and it produced beings that were half angelic and half human. Read Genesis, it's in there. But most people gloss over it. Most people think they know the flood. Because we teach a very sanitized version of it in the church. Because when you dig into biblical history, you will know where these beings come from, and you will know that they are very real. And it talks about that the Nephilim, or Nephilim, however you want to pronounce it, because I don't know which way is the correct way to pronounce it. But those beings were very powerful. And they were, they were just wreaking destruction all over the world. They were giants. They, um, they were huge, huge beings. And, and they were the offspring. They were the perverted gene pool of humans and angels combined together. I would propose to you that there is one fallen angel walking the earth. And his name is Lucifer, also known as Satan. The rest of them are bound till judgment. So whom are the demons? The Bible says that the Nephilim, or Nephilim, were in the world during the days of Noah. And also afterwards they survived the flood partially yeah their spirits are very much alive because they were half they were half human half spiritual being they were a race that was not intended to be around god did not intend for his angels to mate with human women and these are fallen angels. And so when the flood happened, their flesh would have died. What do demons do? Hmm? Possess. Demon possession. Demons possess. If demons are fallen angels, why would they need to possess? You guys still with me? That's a whole different take on the flood than you probably have ever heard, isn't it? Some of you. Some of you know about this. Why would demons need to possess? To get control, but it's actually a lot more cheaper than that. Huh? They're homeless. Like Marcia said, they have no flesh. Remember Jesus dealing with... Um, with um, when he drove out all those thousands of spirits and he drove them into the pigs? Why would they want to be driven into the pigs? Because they have no flesh. They can't gratify that part of their desire without being in the flesh. Because we have a whole view of what angels are like by what we read about when angels appear to men 
in the Bible. Angels are spiritual beings. But they can appear, when, when we see God's angels appear, they can also appear in body. You can see them. You can touch them. Throughout the scripture, when we see the manifestation of angels, when they have interaction, when we see manifestation of God's angels with human humans, the angels appear in a body, and they will sit there, they will talk with you. You can touch them. They don't need to possess. Demons need to possess because they don't have flesh. Demons run amok and run undetected a lot of times because um, we attribute their works to just, it's just human. And that is partly true because they have a sinful nature that is part human because they were part human and part spirit. Are you guys with me? So do you guys understand who the demons are now? The Nephilim or the Nephilim. So, fast forward, it says, When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into water. One of the things I want you guys to understand about demon possession. Now, I'm going to tell you a couple live accounts, and I'm going to tell you the first time I ever seen somebody that was possessed by a demon. Okay? Are you guys okay with that? You still comfortable? Are you still uncomfortable? Or Are we going to stop right here now and we just talk about tithing? Want me to go on? Okay. All right. Um, one of the things that if you're possessed by a demon, how can a demon possess somebody? Areas of their life that not, are not yielded to Jesus. Somebody's going to have control of you. Either Jesus is going to be Lord of all, and if you're not yielded to Jesus, then you're yielded to somebody else. Any area of your life that you reserve for you and you hold back for you, and, you, um, and you're like, I'm just not going to give this area to Jesus. Are you holding it? Are you protected? Or whom are you given authority in that area of your life? The devil. Okay? But when we start yielding areas of our life to Satan... there's going to be consequences. And, and more often than not, it's going to be physical consequences if we don't get those areas of our life submitted to the blood of Jesus Christ. Okay? But here we have an innocent boy who is dealing with demonic possession. How can that be? What did the boy do wrong? What, what area in the boy's life did he not yield to Jesus? I would tell you, it wasn't his fault. Whose fault would it be? I don't even want to cast blame, but let's, let's just go there. Let's cast blame for a minute. Whose fault would it be? Hmm? Yeah, his his parents. Why? Because they are the spiritual covering or the umbrella above their family. Our sins affect our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. But likewise, our righteous acts affect our children, our grandchildren, and our great-grandchildren. Everything we do has a ripple effect on everything. 
ask you a question? How many of you have seen your sins visited to your children and your grandchildren? Raise your hands. Let's sanitize it. You guys want to sanitize it just to make it a little bit better? How many of you have seen your issues passed down to your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren? That's sanitizing it, but let's, we'll call it what it is, sin. Do you see yourself doing the same thing that your parents did and then you're, you understand what I mean? We're responsible for the covering that we put over our families. And our, if we allow a hole, if you will, in our umbrella of covering, it will have effects and ripple effects on our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. If we don't stand and declare the blood of Jesus over that area of our life and get it submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ, it will be a hole that will remain in our generations that can be filled. It'll be an open door to those that come after us. And it can affect children. We've got to be willing to stand up and stand up to the areas in our life that are not yielded to Jesus because it can have an effect on our children. But this little boy did nothing. And Jesus didn't go into the situation condemning and that's what we must not do either, go into this situation condemning. We need to go in there understanding full well our responsibility, our mission, our mandate from Jesus is to share the good news of the gospel and bring deliverance and to destroy the works of the devil by the power of Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. And we do that through faith, knowing that we're not perfect but knowing that he who lives inside of us is perfect, and with him nothing is impossible. The disciples, they brought the little boy to the disciples, but they could not heal him. And Jesus rebuked them. He said, oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of the boy, and he was healed from that moment on. Do you believe that there is a spirit behind sickness? I do. It's a spirit of infirmity. Sickness and disease. Does that mean the person that gets sickness and disease is in sin? Absolutely not. It's just a byproduct of the fall of mankind. Because with the fall of mankind came sickness, disease, and death. And guess what? Should Jesus not come in our lifetime, not one of us is getting out of this thing alive. So we all are going to be stung by death. You guys realize that, right? Are we going to be stung by death because we're bad people? No, it's because we live in a fallen world. And Jesus came and he restored our relationship with the Father. And our job is to be about kingdom business, destroying the works of the devil. But eventually we are going to die. Every hero of the faith that we read about in the Bible has died. And is in the, in the presence of the Father now. So I want you guys to understand, just because you may have a sickness or a disease or you die doesn't mean you're in sin. It means you live in a fallen world. And these things are the consequences of mankind's corporate sin. Jesus paid the price where we can have access to the Father. But he's coming again, and the next time he comes, he's coming to set the world in order. And he's going to make everything right. He's going to destroy sin, sickness, disease. And they will no longer be able to touch anybody after his second coming. He's going to redeem the fallen world at his second coming. He's going to restore it into right order. 
But at this moment, we are to approach the, the consequences and the works of the devil with the authority of Jesus Christ. And we are to declare that authority over sin, sickness, and disease. We are sent here to see deliverance. We are sent here to see captives set free by the power of Jesus Christ working in us. Verse 19, the disciples had questions. They came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? Jesus gave him the hard answer. He replied, because you have so little faith. I tell you the truth. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. So it goes back to the faith thing. First of all, to be able to counteract and destroy the works of the devil, we got to believe and know that demons are in operation in our life, not in our life, but in our society today. We've got to understand that there is indeed, whether we want to ignore it or not, because that's what most Christians want to do. They want to have go to Bible studies. They want to have a sanitized version of Christianity. But we were sent here to destroy the works of the devil and to be able to destroy the works of the devil in the power and the anointing of Jesus Christ. We got to understand that there are works of the devil to be destroyed. We've got to understand that there is indeed a real spiritual battle going on around us. We've got to understand that we have been sent here with a purpose. Not to just tell people, hey, read your Bible, go to church, sing a few songs, pat them on the back and say, you're going to be okay. We are in a real spiritual battle. And it's a battle of life and death. It's a, it's a battle of eternity, and it's a battle of eternity for everyone. Because if we don't do our job as a church, if we don't rise up and start recognizing that there is a real spiritual battle going on around us, people are going to die and go to hell and they are going to miss the resurrection power of Jesus Christ because we are walking in sanitized Christianity. We are walking in an Americanized version of Christianity. When I share experiences that we have had with seeing people delivered and also not being delivered from being possessed by demon spirits, it usually weirds people out and they run. Why do they run? Because it goes against sanitized Christianity. Jesus dealt with these things. The disciples dealt with these things. Why do we in American church think we're not going to deal with these things? The first demon possession I ever saw was when I was 16 years old. At a cousin of mine who was living downtown at the Salvation Army. And he was living downtown at the Salvation Army because he was a heroin addict. And back in 1986 and 87, he was shooting up $300 a day worth of heroin. That's in 86 and 87. That's a lot of money back then. That's a lot of money now to shoot up in heroin. I couldn't, I couldn't do $300 a day now in heroin, could you? I couldn't even do $300 a month in heroin, could you? A lot of money. But he would come around me and he was trying to get help and he was trying to get off drugs and I couldn't figure out why he was doing that because he was much older than me. He was in his mid-30s. And I was just a kid. And I had a whole entourage of drug addicts following me around all the time trying to get free when I was a kid. And I wasn't even a Christ follower. What has my ministry been? Helping people get free of drugs. 
It's changing. It's changing now. God's changing that part of my anointing. It's changing because he's moving me in different areas than what he used to. But most of my life, that has been what God called me to. So I take my cousin down one day to the Salvation Army. And I'm just a kid. And I was, back then I was terrified by the neighborhood. So I get him there, and he had, he had recently broken his neck, so he had a halo on him. You ever see those halos? It's a whole body thing that they wear, and it has metal rods going up, and, and then they have screws running into your skull. And because of some of his antics, he ended up getting his neck broken. And so when I get him down to the Salvation Army, I pull up in my little Toyota truck in front of the Salvation Army. I put my hazards on. I, and I block... Um, I block, you know, I block right in front of there, and I, and I will help him get inside because he, he needed some assistance with his apparatus on him. And as I'm walking him in, there's this guy that's sitting there. And he says to me, he looks right at me, and he starts glaring at me. And then he starts screaming at me with the most hatred that I've ever seen in my life. And I'm just a kid. So I'm freaked out. I'm thinking, I'm going to get shot. You know what I mean? I'm in a bad neighborhood. This is just great, you know? But he starts screaming these awful things. He goes, I hate you. And he goes, how dare you come down here? And then he called me by my full name. You guys hear me? He didn't know who I was. And he starts saying, we hate you. We hate you. And then he would use my full name. And he would be, we hate you, Aaron David Burnaby. We are going to kill you. We are going to take you out. So I helped my cousin get in the Salvation Army, and I got the heck out of there. And for years I wondered, what the heck was that all about? How did he know me? Whom was living inside of him? Who was manifesting all that hatred out in front of the Salvation Army? The stranger. Who was speaking to me? Demonic spirits. I'm not even a Christian, so I can tell you that really freaked me out. Fast forward. When I was youth pastoring, I was living in Florissant. When I was youth pastoring at the Korean church, I'm living in Florissant. And I've shared this story with some of you guys personally. And I collected autographed pictures of famous people. We'd write them and we would get pictures sent in return. So we have a huge collection of autographed pictures. I used to have them all hung up in our house. And so we would have hundreds and hundreds of pictures, 8 by 10 pictures of famous people hung up in our house. And so I was always going up to the dollar store in Florissant, right by the Florissant post office, to get frames for a buck. To hang these things up. Just doing everyday life. One day, I had got off work because I was working at a vending company while youth pastoring at the Korean church. And I swung by there on my way home from work. I'm really wore out. And I get in there, and in this store is this lady. And the whole store was actually kind of packed for a dollar store. It was busy. And I get in there, and there's this lady walking around up and down the aisle, screaming at the top of her lungs, saying the most blasphemous things you ever heard, cussing and carrying on, making a commotion in the store. And 
And you know what I did? Now, I'm a minister. I've never dealt with any of this stuff before. I kept a low profile. I got in, got my, got my, um, got my frames for my pictures, and I got in this long line, and I'm standing there. And about three or four people behind me, all of a sudden she comes in the line and she's standing there. And she's just using profanity and saying the most blasphemous stuff, blasphemous stuff against God Almighty in a dollar store. Nobody in the dollar store is saying a word. We're all just very uncomfortable standing there. And I'm like, don't look at her. Don't make eye contact because I don't need a scene. As a Christian, as a minister, I was a young minister. I didn't realize my identity in Christ. I didn't realize whom it was that lived inside of me. I didn't realize the power of the anointing was put upon Christ's followers to break the yoke of bondage. I didn't realize that we were called to destroy the works of the devil. I knew that in theory, because I thought, oh, take them through Romans Road. This is how you get saved. You must confess with your mouth, Jesus, and are you, you guys understand, you must repent of your sins, confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. To me, that was the most advanced form that I understood at that time of destroying the works of the devil. But in reality, God has given us, you and me, People who carry Holy Spirit living inside of us. The same Holy Spirit. The third person of the Trinity. God the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. And He was sent to us to so that we could be about kingdom business destroying the works of the devil. Not giving a sanitized version of Christianity. Not going up and saying, hey, let me tell you the ABCs of salvation. Nothing wrong with preaching the ABCs of salvation. But sometimes people need to be delivered from demonic oppression or possession before they can receive the good news of the kingdom of God. Danny and I, we talked about it a couple weeks ago when we went to that guy who sang and played and jumped or played the air guitar because his hand was mangled. And then we met his need. He needed deliverance. He needed breakthrough in his physical health because of what had happened to him. And after he had got his breakthrough, then he received kingdom preaching and gave his life to Jesus. People need demonstrations of Holy Spirit's power. And the reason is, is because the anointing that we have through Holy Spirit's power breaks the yoke of sin. It breaks the yoke of bondage and it breaks the curse of sin on people's lives. This lady is standing there. And she's just blaspheming God Almighty, screaming profanity. The entire store is uncomfortable by her presence. And I'm sitting there thinking, I wish this cash register lady would move it so I can get out of here. I don't want to be seen. I don't want anything to do with this. I just want to get out of here and get out of this weirdness. And the thing is, is we have been called and anointed by God to walk in those weird situations and set the captives free because of who it is that lives inside of us. But we got to have faith to do it. Jesus said, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be ye removed, and it will be moved. Things that seem so big and so impossible to us, if we have faith as small as a mustard seed, we can see breakthrough for the glory of God. And we can see people set free, delivered by the anointing that rests inside of us. But at that point in my Christian walk, I didn't understand that. I didn't have that type of faith. I was just like, this is weird. I want out of here. And I knew full well, the more she'd gone on and on. I had, had only one other experience. That was in front of the Salvation Army. That was, this was my second experience with demonic possession. And I understood that she was demonic possessed. And I was just like, ain't my problem. I want to get out of here. I want to get my frames and 
get out of here. So I'm standing in line minding my own business. I have no faith to deal with that, nor did I want to. Nor did I think it was my problem. Did you guys hear that last part? I didn't think it was my problem. I'm a, standing there as a full, anointed, ordained minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm saying, thinking, ain't my problem. Just get my frames and get out of here. Hurry up, cash register lady. And then something happened that shook me to my core. I hear her say something. She says, hey, you. You know things are going to go down when you. <laughs> so myself and everybody that was right be between me and her turn around and we're looking. Everybody's looking back. Because she starts yelling, hey, you. And we're all looking back, who's she talking to now? And she goes, yeah, you. And she's leaning over like this, glaring at me with such hate. And she goes, yeah, you preacher. We know who you are. We hate you. That was not the greatest day of my life, I'll have you know. And then she starts mouthing off about personal things in my life. Yeah, areas in my life that I don't have Submitted to the blood of Jesus Christ. Things just got weird in the dollar store. It wasn't, I honestly swore up and down, it wasn't my problem. But it became my problem when she started to expose me. But I had no framework and no background or understanding really of who I was in Jesus Christ or who I am in Jesus Christ. I just wanted to crawl under a rock and die. And what I didn't realize was the anointing that I carried on me was very more than enough to crush the works of Satan 